and go over to Exodus chapter 33. When I began to pray about what God wanted me to share during the month of January in the churches, felt like God wanted me to deal with that golden calf and with the children of Israel's response to Moses. And we have developed a number of thoughts out of these chapters. And um, in Exodus 33, I'm going to begin reading with verse 12. And I want to minister about finding grace in the Lord's eyes. Verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest to me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet you have said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in your sight, show me now the way that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give thee rest. He said unto him, If thy presence go not up with me, carry us not hence. Now come and look at verse 18. And he said to the Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So grace in the eyes of God. Come on, let's sing this prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. For you. Of course, in this particular narrative, Moses is called up to the mountain to spend time in the presence of God. And he's there for about six weeks. The children of Israel awaited his return. It seemed like a lifetime. And because he did not come as soon as they wanted him to, they gathered themselves to Aaron and said, Aaron, we don't know what happened to your brother, but we do need a God we can see. So make us a God. And Aaron gathered their jewelry and then he put together a golden calf and the children of Israel began to <clears throat> worship around that calf God spoke to Moses on that mountain while he was in the cloud. He said, Moses, the people have corrupted themselves. Descend to the foot of the mountain. And he did. And to his horror and shock, within just a few weeks, the children of Israel had gone from worshiping and loving Jehovah to dancing naked around a golden calf. Moses, of course, 
knew that this would never stand with God. And he drew a line in the sand and basically said, who is on the Lord's side? Sons of Levi came. Others came. Judgment fell on 3,000 people that refused to leave from the other side. The sin was so bad that God told the children of Israel that I will send my angel before you to fight the enemies, but I myself am not going. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. That the angel of the Lord can go before you and still do supernatural things, but yet the very presence of God not be with you. That's what happened. And you can see then in verse 12 that Moses in his conversation, he says, Lord, you're telling me to bring these people up. Because he had told them that in verse 1. But you have not let me know who you will send with me. Now, we know from Exodus 23, beginning with verse 20, that the angel of God was going and going to prepare the way. And I want to read some verses from Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the pathway, to bring you into the place which I prepared. Beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. But if you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries, for my angel shall go before you and bring you into the Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I'll cut them off. And thou shalt not bow down to their gods nor serve them. God was clear. God doesn't mix one religion with another. God doesn't believe in a mixture of what is holy with that which is profane. He believes in separation. He believes in coming out from that which is unclean in order to live a fully consecrated life unto the Lord. Listen to the words of Moses again. If I'm going to lead the people up, you haven't even told me who you're sending with us. But you've said, I found grace in your sight. Now, what is grace? I can tell you what it is. Justice is when you receive what you deserve. Mercy is when you're spared what you deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is when you get what you do not deserve. That's what grace is. Moses says, Lord, if in your eyesight, if in your presence, if before your face, I have found grace because we don't deserve it. My own people have been out here worshiping and dancing around a golden calf. We deserve nothing but your wrath, but yet your grace, oh God, if we truly have found it, then manifest that. Let me know. And surely you understand that all of us in here that love God, we're believers, we're saints. The blood has cleansed us of iniquity and our past has been taken away. And in being born again, we were born again as clean and as innocent as a newborn baby. But yet all of us have within us what Romans calls the law of sin. 
There's a nature that is inside of us that develops as we grow. So there's enough sin in any of us in here right now. We, uh, we don't deserve anything. However, his grace, the riches of his mercy, his grace has made it possible for you and for me to receive happily the things we desire, and to boldly approach the throne of grace, not because of our arrogant tendencies, but because of his love. Lord, you say, I found grace in your eyes. Show me now the pathway. Now there is a a path prepared by God to go from here to there. There is a path. And and wherever God is taking you in life, whatever he's doing in your walk with him to get from here to there, you need his path rather than your path. Now, your path will take you somewhere, but it won't necessarily take you where God wants you to go. Show me that path. That's a prayer. Show me, Lord, that path. Illuminate that walkway. Let me see the trail where I can walk upon so that I can be blessed and experience the joy and the abundance that you want me to have. There is a path that leads to depression. There's a path that leads to suicide. There's a path that leads to idolatry. Now, millions of people out here dancing around this golden calf and Moses dealt with them. I can assure you, Moses has already had a glimpse of that path. He, he saw what that path brought to them. It brought to them a a, a cow made out of gold that people worshiped and it brought death into the camp of the Israelites. Not life, but death. Lord, show me that path. All of us want to walk with God in such a way that we experience his grace, his blessing. But do you realize that God's path for you is different than other people's path? As a saint, your path is different from someone who's a sinner. And you shouldn't spend your time trying to imitate people who don't know God. I think sometimes our young people have the wrong heroes, sports figures, actors and actresses, and sometimes singers and other people who who live some of the most ungodly lives. But because they have a large fan club, people say these are worthy of emulation. No. The people we ought to follow are the people who are following Christ. Yeah. But we grow in that, you know. When I was a little kid, I thought my two oldest brothers pretty much hung the moon. You always wanted to be just like them. I didn't know anything about all the trouble they were into. I just knew I wanted to be like my older brothers. And so by the time I came along and was seven and eight, they were already adults. I just knew I wanted to be like them. My older brother, Rick, He uh, joined the Marine Corps when he was 16, told the recruiter and everybody he was 18, arrived at boot camp when he was 16 years of age, and they were going to send him back, but he still talked them into letting him stay. He's a talker. My oldest brother, Anthony, went into the Army, and uh, he didn't have the best time in there because he didn't have the best attitude in dealing with orders. But as a kid, I just thought, oh, my goodness, nobody messes with my brothers. My oldest brother, he was known throughout the neighborhood. I mean, I could walk around that neighborhood and nobody bothered me. 
in uh, high school. Those two had gotten to it with another one of the kids in high school. And both my brothers from the third floor of the high school building had hung a boy outside the window and were holding him by his ankles. And of course, that got him in trouble. So my ninth grade year, got to homeroom and the teacher's doing the roll call. She comes across that name, Daryl Sutton. Sutton, would you happen to have any brothers? I said, I do. Anthony and Rick. She just dropped her head and said, oh. But as I got older, and I became a Christian and came to know the Lord when I was in the fall of 1982, then, of course, then I start seeing that the path they were on wasn't good. You know, God has to show you the path for you as a believer. And once he begins to reveal that path to you, it is your responsibility to get on that path. Stay on that path. That's where your path of blessing is. That's where your path of increase is. That's where your path of resisting the devil is. Because if you're walking with God and you're saying, Lord, show me the path. Every time you come to an intersection and you have doors of opportunity that open in different directions, God's path will lead you through the right door. Surely you've got to know that every door of opportunity isn't necessarily a door of promotion from God. There is a devil that comes to us and says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And how many times have you watched a documentary or heard a story of some singer from the Blue Ridge Mountains or from some little small town that said something like this? I grew up in church. I know what it is to sing in the choir. I know what it is to love God. But because of my talents and my abilities, it threw open the doors for me to go through this other particular avenue. And I believe that the promotion would better help me as I walked with God. And and it's just as sure as they took the promotion and they were elevated in the eyes of men. You watch that spiritual life just turn and go down. They're not singing about God anymore. They're not even going to godly places anymore. They're now singing songs about adultery, three-way relationships, and terrible things. And by the time they come through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different marriages, then they come to the end of their life after they've wasted their health and made their wealth. Then they look back and start thinking about those mountains one more time and those experiences with God. But do you realize that path that God had for them? may not have ever led them to millions of dollars, or it may have, but it definitely would have led them to joy and peace. You see, joy and peace. You've got to ask God to show you that path, and when he shows you that path, get on that path and stay on that path and not be distracted by your friends or by loved ones. Moses says in verse 13 here, I want to know you, Because in verse 12, he said the Lord knew him by name. Now, what does that mean? That means God has a relationship with Moses. He knows more about Moses than Moses knows about himself. There are aspects of your life that you don't even understand like God knows. Yeah. 
Tiffany and I have been married 24 years, and I can assure you if you pulled her aside and asked her, what does pastor believe about this or that? She probably could tell you. And we've talked about enough stuff that if you pulled me aside and asked me about what she believes about this or that, I probably could tell you too. But our God looks into the crevices of our hearts and he knows what's there. He sees every motive behind your objectives. He sees every good thought. He sees every evil thought. He sees things you don't think that he's able to see. He knows you by name. He knows who you really are. Moses said, Lord, I want to know you. Well, help me to know you, God. How can I come to know God? Well, I pick up this Bible and begin to read it. If you want to understand something about God, read the book. The book tells you about his character, tells you about things related to him, and it's important to read the book. And as you come to know God, your behavior changes. Your conduct becomes better. But if you don't know God, that behavior won't change. Paul said that I may know thee in the power of thy resurrection. You see, I want to know the Lord. Jesus talked about in John 17 about what it is to truly be saved. What is salvation? The knowledge of the one true God. That's what he says. And then Moses continues and he says, Lord, if your presence doesn't go up, I don't want to go because the Lord had told him my presence will go and give you rest. Now, what kind of rest was he talking about? In Joshua, the Lord explains to Israel, I bring you into the promised land, defeat your enemies and give you rest on every side. Wouldn't it be nice in your Christian life to come to a point or a place or a season where certain battles you wouldn't have to battle anymore? I think every man or woman in here would love to come to some point in their life where they wouldn't have to battle certain lusts of the flesh. Yeah. Think about how many Christians there are in this nation today that have this whole battle going on inside of them between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit because there's the tugging of their heart to draw closer to God, but yet they've got cravings in their body. Their body fiends for substances that they used before they became Christian and they find themselves being drawn back to that. Listen to me. There's a rest that comes to a person where their mind can have some peace for a change. I realize there are a whole lot of people that go through alcohol, uh, anonymous, and all these other things, but... I'm going to tell you the power of God is still the answer to anything. Yeah. You, you find a man or woman struggling with things like that. If you can get them on their knees, get their hands lifted up to God, get their mouth crying out to God and, and mentioning the name of Jesus, because whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And you get them crying out to God. You'll find people will be delivered of a bad attitude. They can be delivered of a spirit of anger. Here's somebody running around the house and punching holes in the walls and the wife and the kids are terrified and folks on the job don't even know how to handle this person. But you can get him on his knees and get some saints around him and pray the prayer of faith and the power of God can fall like rain in there. and Bless them. Deliver them. He says, my presence shall go and I'll give you rest. In his presence is fullness of what? Joy. At his right hand. 
pleasures forevermore. I honestly believe that the presence of God is something we take for granted. I'll also say that I honestly believe the presence of God is not, how do I want to say it? It's not present in many places where people gather to worship. And I say that because you have a lot of unbelievers that gather to worship a holy God that they don't really care anything about. Church is just something you do for an hour or a couple of hours a week. They don't come in there with the expectation that I can offer myself as a living sacrifice to God, offering a full consecration to God, saying, Lord, put the fire upon this sacrifice. Let me burn. Let me have a, a passion and a fervency for you. A lot of Christians aren't like that. But when that presence is there, people can't understand why you act the way you do sometimes. You know, sometimes people will be sitting in a service and they'll be sitting there weeping and crying. Then you have some old judgmental thing sitting over there, look down the road or look towards the back and say, look at poor thing. She's guilty of sin. She can't stop crying. And she's not crying at all. He's not crying at all because of sin. He's crying because of the blessing of God is being touched by the Lord and thinking of all the blessings God has poured out. Have nothing to do with sin. Could be in somebody else. But if your presence isn't with me, Lord, don't carry me up. So you understand as well as I do that it's possible to go places without God's presence. It's possible to do things without God. But I wouldn't want to go to the post office without God. Certainly wouldn't want to go to the grocery store without God. We need the presence of God in all that we do. And when the king is with us and we're carriers of the glory of God, you can expect people will see something in your life and in your countenance that makes you different. Yeah, you can tell sometimes when you're around a believer, just like you can tell when you're around an unbeliever. If your presence doesn't go with me, don't carry us up from here. There's a boldness that attends the presence of God because of the relationship person has. I've told you before, if we had a platform built up here, and let's say it was seven, seven and a half feet tall, and you put a little toddler up here, two years of age or so, put that toddler right near the edge. I'd come over here, and I'd say, okay. I'd say, Janessa, if she's two, she's up here. i say, okay, Janessa. <clears throat> I want you to jump, jump right in the pastor's arms. Let's suppose she doesn't even have a relationship, never even seen me before. I say, come on, Janessa, jump right, right into my arms. Well, Janessa's going to look at me, and then she's probably going to take a few steps back away from the edge. But then mama comes along, dad comes along, stands over there, and then they say, okay, now, now Janessa, jump, jump into mama's arms. And then I'm telling you, Janessa's going to take a flying leap right into mama's arms. Now, I'm taller than mama. My arms are longer than mama, hopefully a little stronger than mama's. But why wouldn't she jump into my arm? She doesn't know me. See, no sense of relationship. And my presence doesn't do anything for her but the presence of mom. When Moses says, Lord, we need your presence and we don't even want to venture out without your presence, he's saying, you mean everything to us. I wouldn't want to start a new job without God. 
certainly wouldn't want to move to a new location without God. So Moses continues, and he says, the people all around us will know that you're not with us if you don't go. But the Lord said to Moses, I'll do something for you because he now had another prayer in verse 18. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Yeah, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll make all my goodness to pass before you. Now, glory isn't easy to define. Sometimes in scripture, it is like a cloud or like a fog that descends over the tabernacle. Sometimes it's a form of boasting. We talk about glorifying God. We make him big in our speech. Magnify the Lord with me, O ye saints of God. That means you take your words and use them to make God bigger than your problems. Make, use your praise to make God bigger than all your circumstances. Glorify God. Make him radiate and shine. So Moses is saying, Lord, show me your glory. There is something connected to you that I want to see. And the Lord says, Moses, I'll allow my goodness to pass and let you get a glimpse of that because nobody can look on my face. Now, it's interesting that he says that he'll do that because he wasn't under any obligation to do it because he says in verse 19, I'll be gracious to whom I want to be gracious. And I'll be merciful to whoever I want to be merciful to. That is to say, in the Bible, people had experiences with God because he chose to give them those experiences with God. And whatever experiences with God you have had, those are yours. But he doesn't have to do it a second time. No. If, if your born again experience was dramatic, and I mean, I mean the kind that it was like, oh my goodness, you tell that story and people say, oh, you, the God was definitely in that your experience might still be different than somebody else's who just heard the gospel the first time and then just believed. But the salvation was the same, even though the encounter was different. When God said to Moses, I'm going to allow you to get a glimpse of a certain facet or aspect of me. He was saying, Moses, I'm going to reveal to you something you haven't known. And I guarantee you that Moses was touched by what he saw. And if you think about it, how different is your Christian faith today than it was the day you were born again? Because of how God revealed himself. Yeah. You, you could have been raised in a church tradition that said. God doesn't do dreams and visions in these days. And then you take a trip with me and you go overseas and you start meeting all these former Muslims who never had come in contact with a Christian or a preacher or a church. And then you say, tell me your testimony, how you got saved. And then they say, I had a dream and Jesus came to me. And Jesus spoke to me. That's how I got saved. I had a pastor like that in Istanbul, Turkey, in an ichthus church. Ichthus is a movement out of England. This young man, because I was only 21 when I was in in uh, Turkey, this young man who's in his late 20s was in a, a village that did not have a Christian church. His testimony was he had never met a Christian, had never even seen one on television, because it's not like they got Christian programs in Turkey. 
But he said in his testimony to the church when I was there, he said one day he was at home and in a dream, Jesus appeared to him and came and sat down and spoke to him about salvation and told him to go to the so-and-so village, get a Bible, read the gospel of John, and he'd know what it was to be saved. That was our pastor. Now, somebody from America who writes all of these little goofy books on how God doesn't speak to people, they, they, they'd come along and say, well, that man had mental problems. Well, whatever kind of problems he had, it led to his, his new birth experience. You know why? Because God showed him an aspect of his glory that changed his life forever. And when that happens to you, nobody can turn you away from truth. Nobody. I mean, think of how, how it must have been amazing when you got a, a glimpse of the love of God from Scripture. If you were raised in one of those fellowships where the preacher preached as though God was sitting up there on the throne, and in one hand he had a hammer, and in the other hand he had a lightning bolt. And he was just watching you. His eyes were following you throughout the earth looking for how you were living. And if you didn't act right, then God suddenly was going to drop that lightning bolt on you. And then suddenly you get a glimpse of the cross and you see the love of God in full manifestation. What is God doing? Hiding you in a cleft and allowing his goodness to pass by. Changes you forever. Yeah. It's like reading and learning about what it means to live holy for God and to live a consecrated life. And God shows you how to be separate and how to try to preserve yourself from certain aspects of this world that are destructive and will corrupt you. It's like, oh my goodness, Lord, you must have put another verse in that Bible last night while I was sleeping. Yeah, we had to have done that. If we talk about God being faithful, that's one aspect. His goodness, that's another aspect. His holiness, that's another aspect. The fact that God is jealous, that's another one. He's just, sure. God can be a God of fury, the Bible says. The fact that he, he, he's a God that, that dispenses mercy and his loving kindnesses are new every morning. All of these are things that if God were to show them to you at one time, all of us would have a problem trying to take in all of that info. So as a Christian, then we grow in grace and we grow in knowledge because as we read the word of God, one aspect of God becomes clear. We learn it. Then he moves us on to the next one. This is how we go from glory to glory. God, show me your glory. He will if you walk with him. And then let me add this. He told Moses, you can never see my face in verse 20. Nobody can see me and live. Now, Jacob wrestled with an angel. They called that place Peniel, face of God. But he says here to Moses, the man who he spoke to, as the Bible says, friend to friend, face to face. Moses is unable to see the very countenance of the king. And the reason for that is because he's so glorious, majestic, mighty. But you know what the Lord did in order to condescend to Moses? He put Moses in a cleft and let him get just a little bitty glimpse as the Lord preserved him and kept him. 
But yet years later, 1,500 years later, what did God do? The word became flesh. And he came and tabernacled amongst us. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, he knew what it was like to be born into this world with a body just like yours. He ate, he drank, he became tired, he became thirsty. The Bible says that he slept. Mark tells us on one occasion he became angry. When you think of God becoming flesh, he gave all of us an opportunity to see him as he is. Walking through Galilee, picking up babies and hugging them and blessing them. Walking on water, multiplying loaves of bread, fishes, healing the cripples, casting out devils. Everyone that saw Jesus in the flesh was able to get a glimpse of God. But think of it this way now. We're the church, we're the body, he's the head. The best glimpse of God people are going to get today is going to be what they see in us. What they see in us. And when people are saying, God, show me your path, show me your glory, God is going out of his way to bring people like you and me into their lives to be able to minister to them. Had to be beautiful to see the things that Moses saw. God put that man on a rock, and let him stand there, and it was glorious, beautiful things that the king does. What have you seen? What, what has God shown you that has so startled you that no matter what anybody else says, that will never be taken away from you? That's what happened here on this mountain. That's what happened here. Yeah. How powerful was it when the mighty Holy Ghost of God came into your life? Nobody can take that away from you. If you've ever prayed and said, God, I'm having this problem in my body, it's physical, the, 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 the devil and others have said, there's no way you will recover. If God did it, there's nobody can take that away from you. No, nobody. No. Little 24-year-old boy over in Jordan. I hadn't been there 45 days, got malaria. Terrible disease to get. They said it's a recurring thing. Once you get it the first time, people oftentimes get it in Africa and different places. But here I ended up with it in Jordan, in the city of Amman, in a little village called Mahata. And so I'm laying there in that bed, and I've got the chills, and they've got blanket after blanket on top of me. And a good friend of mine who I brought from America, who I went to high school with, he was there to learn Arabic, just like I was in the Arabic school there. He was there praying, and Athir, the Iraqi man who was our roommate, he's praying also. They're sitting up against that wall, and I'm a few feet away, and they're praying. I could hear him praying in English. I could hear him praying in the spirit. I'm shaking with the chills. I'm sweating. And, and eventually I said to my friend Rakit, I said, look, man, I don't know what in the world is going on because I wasn't going to any doctor over in Jordan. I didn't know anything about their hospitals and I knew whatever they had was far behind what we have here. So it just wasn't going to happen at all. And so I told my friend Rakit, I said, look, man, if something happens to me while I'm laying in this bed, I said, you folks going to have to pray. And I said, you're going to have to pray 
and talk to the king on the basis of three things. Number one, I hadn't fulfilled everything God called me to do. He said, secondly, his mercies are new every morning. See, and you're definitely going to have to pray because my mama's not coming from America, flying on the airplane, come get me over here. It's not going to happen. And somewhere along the line in that night, laying there in that bed, I fell off to sleep. They were still praying as I fell asleep. I had a dream. In that dream, somebody said to me, the master wants to see you. I walked over there where I believed the king of kings was standing, and he said, you're not going to be able to stay here. You've got to go back down there because they won't, they won't stop praying. Then I looked up, and then I could see a picture of Rakid there praying and calling my name before the king. I don't know how long that lasted. I know when I woke up that next morning, I was totally healed. Hadn't had any malaria since, and I've traveled all over this earth, still preaching the gospel, hadn't had any sign of malaria at all. At all. Now, anybody can come along and say, I'm just not certain about uh, something like that. And then I would just simply say, it just doesn't really matter to me what you're certain about at all. I'm the one still here, you see. And and when it comes to, to God doing something definite in your life, when you know that you have stood on the cleft of a rock and seen something that you couldn't create on your own, then you won't let anybody turn you away from what God has done for you. Yeah. So in closing then, in verse 22, the Lord said, it would come to pass while my glory passes by, I'll put you in that cliff and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. God's not going to give you any experiences that are ever going to harm you, ever. The Spirit of God is gentle. The Holy Spirit of God wants to work in all of our lives, not to magnify himself, but always to promote the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that's not promoting Jesus, it's best to avoid it. It's got to be lifting him up. But on that cliff, you'll see him. See. So what has God done for you in recent times? What's your expectation for 2023? You'll come to the end of this year and you'll look back and you'll say, oh, my goodness, Pastor, I'm telling you, it seems like I stood on that rock that Moses stood on several times. And God helped me to see things about him that I just did not know in January of this year. Because if we're not growing, then that's not a good thing. You guys remember that little guy used to be on that show, Fantasy Island, little short man, used to be the one shouting out the plane, the plane, you know. I don't know how he died exactly. I've, I've heard stories in, in my travels. They say that, of course, his death wasn't necessarily that good, but little tiny man, he's got these organs in his body, just normal organs, but he's got a very little shell. But they say he got towards the end of his life, and those organs continued to grow, but that exterior body didn't. Laying there in those last days, he just about burst. Because those organs kept growing, but the body didn't. See, it's not the plan of God for us to be stunted in our growth, but to grow. See, to grow. Because you were meant to grow from birth. Anything that doesn't grow from childhood, then that thing eventually, it dies because it's in the seed. There's life in that seed that produces 
the kind of growth that is necessary. And all of us have a, a level in that seed where the seed knows make them grow or make her grow this tall and no further. It's in the seed. It's the same with a tree. This is why trees only grow so far and then they stop. It's all in that seed. And it's the same thing with you. If you come from a family, you know, like the Krugers. I mean, all the babies were born six feet long. Yeah. So, I mean, everything in the family is tall. See, but but then if 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 you come from uh, one of the, the the smaller families. Then that's a little bit. It's all in the seed is what I'm saying. Not good or bad. Just it's just in the seed. So this incorruptible seed that you're born of, it requires us to, to labor for the king so that we grow in God. And as we grow in God, he does wonderful things. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Wonderful things. I was so glad to have my little helper as I was preaching tonight. Praise the Lord. Love it when them babies, they're saying amen to pastor. Praise God. Folks, listen to me. We want this year to be a year of great grace and great glory. And we want the king to do for us this year things he has not done for us in previous years. And we want him to do things for us that we cannot even conceive. He can do much more than you can even imagine. But I will tell you this. He does expect us to walk by faith. Scripture says without faith is impossible to please God. Impossible. The thought of pleasing him is not even possible without trusting him. So as I pray tonight, I want you to pray individually. Because like I said, this is the last night of prayer. The other nights, we just took <clears throat> anywhere from 10, 15, 20 minutes and just laid before God and turned the seats into an altar and prayed and all of that. But tonight, as I pray, I want you to pray. Pray about things in your family. Pray about things in the church. Pray about things in your individual life. And expect that God is going to hear your prayer like he heard Moses. Moses says, show me that path. Show me that glory. Father, in the name of Jesus. As we're here right now, Lord, we are so grateful that we have our petitions answered when we pray in accordance with your will, as 1 John says. And Lord, we know that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So right now we intercede for our unsaved loved ones. There's not a son, there's not a daughter, there's not a grandchild, a parent or a grandparent that is outside of the reach of your loving arms. So, Lord, we pray right now, stretch forth your hand and touch them, O oh God. Reach into their home, reach into their life on that job, reach into that car as they're traveling. And we pray, God, do something wonderful right now. Bring the very convicting power of the Holy Spirit through your presence, O oh Lord. We pray, God, for those that may be battling something physically in their body. Yet, God, we know that you are a healer. And so, Father, we pray that you touch the minister to them. Give them the miracle that we're interceding for. For that one, God, that may be battling depression that we may know of in this community or in some other community. Put your words in our mouth and let us minister to them powerfully and let the clouds of despair disappear, O oh God, as we minister to them. Let the powerful Holy Ghost come upon them, God. We pray that Christ would be magnified, that Christ would be visible and seen in all that we say and do when we're walking up and down the grocery aisles or visiting with neighbors or family. Father, let us be carriers of your glory. 
Help us, O oh God, not to just speak idle words, but yet let our words be spoken unto edification, seasoned with grace, able to uphold and encourage the one that's weak, God. That's our prayer, Lord. And we honor you and we love you. We love you and we praise you, O oh God. Let's just take a few moments and create a garden of praise in here. Father, we love you. We worship you. You're wonderful, God. We thank you for this evening. Thank you for your touch. Thank you for your anointing that breaks and destroys yokes. Thank you, O oh God, for your presence in this place right now. It gives us that fullness of joy. You put a smile on our face and we're grateful. Thank you for our homes, our marriages. Thank you for our health. Thank you, O oh God, for this building. Thank you for the houses in which we dwell, the clothes that we have in our closets, the food that we have in our cupboards. Thank you, Lord, that you've been gracious enough to allow us to have the relationships that we have. You're worthy, God. Almighty God, you're worthy. You're worthy, God. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. And we honor you, God. Thank you for every testimony of your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for every story that each believer will have in the weeks and months to come of how good you've been. Thank you for preserving us, keeping us from the strategies and schemes of the devil. We worship you, God, that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We praise you and we love you. Thank you, God. Oh, isn't it wonderful to serve God? Yeah. Yeah, why would anybody want to do anything other than serve the king? To put him first. That's the thing that matters. Amen? Isn't that right, Munch? That's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. To put the king first. To love him. To praise him. Harm, so important. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things be added unto you. Amen. Tuesday night, folks, we'll be out here having a good time. If anybody's needing any further prayer or ministry, we'll be here to pray with you down front. In Jesus' name. Otherwise, turn to that neighbor of yours.